Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelicone. It is March 1st, 2020. Tonight's episode is number 65, and we are going to be covering the top five buddy cop movies. How do you feel about this list overall, Frank? Um, I Actually, let good. me reword this. In terms of your least favorite concepts, how high does this rank? Top five. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the other ones would be. There's sometimes like when we come up with them and I just think like, Ugh, I think I got to watch like those kind of movies. <laughs> so I sort of felt that way with this, but I enjoyed uh-huh. watching all five of the movies on this list. Oh, well, that's good at least. Um, to various degrees, like some I thought were, <clears throat> I think all five movies have a lot, have merit in the like specific, whatever buddy cop genre. Buddy cop is not a genre that I'm overly like it's kind of like the fish, the, the fish out of water yeah because it, it, it means i gotta watch comedies so right. that already makes me tired and like i don't know but I, there's not all buddy cop movies are comedies though most of them or they at oh. least have some comedic aspect right right well a lot of things have a comedic aspect though not anything i'm watching buddy gotcha no i mean well it <laughs> My my favorite movie on this list is probably you know you're doing a like a like a mini podcast about Nick Cage movies, right? Right, I understand. Okay, I mean they're funny in a like ironic sense. Usually, mm. they're not funny in a right. Like I don't. They're definitely not funny in like a, like a right. They actually really the one Nick sense. Cage comedy I've watched so far was not funny. It was just horrifying. It was a horror right. movie. Yes. So it's more the stuff that's not supposed to be funny that makes me laugh. Um, my favorite movie on this list is a straight comedy though. So yeah. whatever that says. Right. But it was fine. Right. Like I enjoyed watching we'll talk all about five that when we get there. But yeah, I think there's a reason for that though. Yeah. So. All, all five I thought were, um, enjoyable to some degree. Okay. So let me run through some of the ones that aren't on your list right. and see what you think about these or what you have to say about them, which probably isn't much. 48 hours we talked about last year on a podcast because you were thinking about including 48 hours on a list and possibly at some point and you rewatched it yeah and i and, loathe it yeah and you hated it oh my god it's terrible yeah it's terrible for a lot of reasons i mean number one i just don't think it's i think the things that appeal in 48 hours to a 10 year old which is probably when i saw 48 hours sure. do not appeal to me as a grown man okay um i think I think it's just wrong-headed. I think it's like a relic that's not necessarily something that needs to be brought into the modern era. Mm-hmm. I think you could remake 48 Hours, and obviously like that idea has been remade any number of times in sure. like, various fashions. But I think you could remake 48 Hours and make a good movie out of it by changing some things, but it doesn't exist in that movie. Okay. <clears throat> Next, uh, Actually, and this will come up in our number five movie, but the second most unlikable hero of the past like 40 years the nick nolte character? yeah protagonist right gotcha okay a guy that's 100 percent the antagonist of the movie that you're supposed to root for okay oh uh, let's see here rush hour i like rush hour it's a good movie yeah what about rush hour 2 uh i don't really remember rush hour 2 yeah rush i remember liking rush oh, hour so 2. i Somewhat. Which one was it? And Rush Hour 3 is terrible. I think it might be Rush Hour 2. So Regal Cinemas had a dispute with um, whoever the parent company of Rush Hour is, and we weren't allowed to show it for the first 
uh, it was like the first six weeks it was in release. Like it was not allowed to be really? shown at Regal Cinemas. Yeah, huh. because they wanted too much of the. They wanted a cut of the concession sales or something. I think that's what it was. They wanted like a portion of your concession sales in addition to the box office up front. And <clears throat> Regal wouldn't do it. So we didn't show that or Galaxy Quest. Well, Chris Tucker got to get paid. That, well, mean, right. that man was making tons of money for those movies. But he'd already gotten paid at that point. Right. So, well, they were trying to recoup. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember if that was Rush Hour 1 or Rush Hour 2, but I'm almost positive it was Rush Hour 2. Yeah, I think he made 20 on each 2 and 3. Yeah, like 20, I mean, he was, 20 million. He was definitely well compensated. Yeah. I mean, they were really successful movies. That was when the the high watermark was hitting that hundred million dollar. Oh yeah, right. Um, yeah. threshold, and mm-hmm. they were all hundred million dollar movies. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, well, this is kind of relevant to today. Almost Bad Boys. I mean, I think Bad Boys is okay. I think Bad Boys gets a lot of nostalgia pop because it was a movie that people from our generation watched when we were teenagers. Um, I don't think Bad Boys is any better than, I don't know, Red Heat to a movie that you love. You know what right. I mean? That's like it's, the next one on my list is Red Heat. Right. Like, I I esteem them the same, which is to say that I can sit down and watch them and I enjoy watching them, but mm-hmm. I don't think that there's like, oh my God, like this movie's so important or fantastic or red heat would definitely be if i was making this list red heat would be on this list yeah and i know this is actually like my this is my list probably probably like this this is the thing that's like my my wheelhouse Mm -hmm. right is this list yeah but it'd be like two lethal weapon movies and then no two beverly hills cop movies and red heat i do love beverly hills cop too yeah it's a good movie yeah i do beverly hills cop would be on this list if you hadn't talked about it last year for the shot of water right yep uh, what about Tango and Cash? Do you remember that at all? Honestly, that's Kurt Russell and Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, I don't really remember it. Yeah, it's Same not. With, it's um, not a very good one. I don't really care for it. Isn't that much. isn't like Tequila Sunrise a buddy cop? Oh, movie? am I getting those confused? Oh, no. I don't know. No, Tequila Sunrise is also kind of like a buddy cop thing. That's also Stallone, though, right? I think so. That that's an era of movies that I it all blends together. So I don't. Yeah, I really don't have an opinion on it. Uh. <laughs> what about Running Scared? You know, I, I I think Running Scared's a terrible movie. I don't know. When was the last time you seen Running Scared? The last time I ever needed to see it. 1987? Probably like 1990. Okay. I loved Running Scared again as a as a kid and I watched it last last year, I think. And the past 6 months I watched it on Prime and uh as an adult, I can see the problems like with pacing and plot and all those kind of things, but I still really love the chemistry between Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines. You know and what I else really appreciated too? Gregory Hines a lot in that movie. He would have been a great straight man for a lot of different comedic actors. This just dawned on me. I hate Billy Crystal. So Oh, that just dawned on you? Yeah. You yeah, you've never liked it. anything that comes out with Billy Crystal, like you are never on board with the Billy Crystal. Except there's a couple movies where I really appreciate them, but for the most part, I just I don't think Billy Crystal's very funny. I think Billy Crystal can get really grating really quickly. Yeah, like as soon as he opens his mouth, as I, soon as you see him. I think that's a little unfair, but I, I unless I, I understand unless it's Princess Bride, and that's cool. But but I think he's one of the more like I still laugh at it because it's, I think him and Carol Kane and like the like right. work really well in that scene, but 
it's still one of the, like those scenes that's like almost outside the movie in some sure. ways. It's it's he's he's he has all these pop culture references in it. Like, he's going um, to work for himself basically. It's 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 the weakest part of the movie. He's getting the shit in. Right. Yeah. No. That's right. Yeah. It's true. Hey, Billy Crystal. I like City Slickers though. Oh yeah, silly, silly slickers. Silly slickers. Silly says, silly, silly, silly says to him, and I says, right, right. Bees. <laughs> what else? Stakeout, and another stakeout. I don't with Rosie O'Donnell. Out. You don't know those movies? I mean, I know them. Oh, but okay. I just don't really remember it. Okay. I I can I have this vague memory of somebody eating a sandwich in a car, and that's my memory of stakeout. That's probably every single one of these movies that I mentioned to you at sure. this point. Right. What about Midnight Run? Uh, Midnight Run's fine. Yeah. It's been a really long time since I've seen Midnight Run. Uh, let's see. Is that really a buddy cop movie? Well, it's, a, cri- a, well, it's, the, it's a buddy it's, heist movie or a buddy yeah, I, caper movie. I think if 48 Hours is considered buddy cop genre, I think you have to include to some degree Midnight Run. Yeah, I guess. Um, what about Money Train? Pooh. That's Woody Harrelson and Wesley Snipes. It's like they're. I would have to revisit that. It's been I've mm. seen Money Train once and it was. Apparently, we I wrote down like... Tango and Cash twice. Do you want to repeat that you don't remember that movie? Yeah, that I don't write on Tango and Cash. Uh, Last Boy Scout. Oh, I love Last Boy Scout. I was I was really surprised Last Boy Scout is not on this list. Last Boy Scout, though, I love despite it's the same what you would say about like running scared like mm. last boy scout is not a good movie yeah but last boy scout is a really fun movie and an incredibly ridiculous movie i don't know but i i mean i actually thought about putting last boy scout on the list in place of the number four movie i think because the number five movie i always felt like i had to have on the list but really yeah do i have the right order okay I think so. Hopefully, we'll see. Number four is a 1974 movie, right? Or no. number five is a 1974 Nine, movie. Number five. Yeah, yeah, okay. that one. Okay. Huh. Um, yeah, okay. I, I, I think Last Boy Scout's... Last Boy Scout feels like Bruce Will... I, I don't know. There's just something about it that... I, I just... I don't know what I would say about it, really. Except that I have a lot of nostalgia for it, and I think it's fun. Do you think um, Die Hard with a Vengeance would have to be included in Buddy Cop? I actually thought about putting it on there, but at some point, Die Hard with a Vengeance is probably my favorite Die Hard movie, like overall. So there will be some time where we'll talk about that movie for some reason. Yeah. So I kind of want to save it. Yeah. I, I, well, yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll have an opportunity, I'm sure, at some point. Yeah, like I love Die Hard, and I actually really <laughs> like Die Hard too. Despite I know a lot of people are not fans of that movie, but I think Die Hard Die Hard is fine. Is the best like overall of all. I can see movies. that argument. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think Die Hard is like maybe the most perfect action movie that's ever been done. Yeah, a lot of people feel that way, <clears throat> but um, Die Hard with Vengeance is really good. But uh, yeah, I just wondered, like, thinking about Midnight Run in Forty Eight Hours. Considering that's a citizen and a cop, I wondered if like you'd almost have to include that as well. Just, in the... just FYI, Raiders of the Lost Ark is the most perfect action movie ever made. No, it's true. It's it's a different level, right? It's a it's a higher level than anything I'm talking about. Like Raiders of the Lost Ark, yes, is absolutely the yes pinnacle, probably 
I want to talk about that movie someday. I don't know what list that. Yeah, goes we've on. never talked about. It feels like like what else is there to say about it? It's like putting a Star Wars like one of the original trilogy on the list. Like, what are you gonna say? You know, right? So I don't know. Yeah, no, that's true. Oh, I have a lot of things to say about Temple of is Doom and Last Raiders. Crusade a buddy cop movie? Buddy archaeology. Neither of them are cops, though, right? They're historical police to protect an artifacts and shit from the Nazis. Okay. All right, you ready to jump in this list? Uh-huh. All right, number five on your list is 1974's Freebie and the Bean, directed by Richard Rush. It stars James Caan, Alan Arkin, and Loretta Swift. It has a 25% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 65% from audiences. Yeah, that that's that seems about right. Let me tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it. Um, So this is, it. the reason this is on this list is, in my opinion, this is like really the first like true like buddy cop movie. And almost in spite of itself, because it doesn't work consistently throughout. You could have just stopped right there. Right, it almost doesn't work on any level whatsoever. Um, James Mm -hmm. Conn, Alan Arkin are two cops. Uh, Conn is Freebie, who is the most loathsome protagonist ever put to film. Um, And his partner, Alan Arkin, is Bean named so because he's mexican um and they're both these corrupt uh psychologically and socially inept assholes who in spite of their best efforts to fuck up everything in terms of like police work still manage to be successful police officers maybe like you feel like you're supposed to feel that way but it didn't ever translates to anything they do on screen um I mean, it's a, I don't know, it's 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 a dumb plot. They're basically supposed to protect this local businessman who's also a criminal, or who is a criminal from being assassinated by the Detroit mob um, while the Super Bowl is being, it's Super Bowl weekend in San Francisco and they're doing all these things to protect this man. Um, so you might think that, like, why is this on this list? Because... Mm-hmm haven't said anything good about it so you're getting your shit in <laughs> right um when i first saw this movie so i saw this movie when i was 16 years old i think and the reason i watched it was because tarantino raved about it in an interview or something tarantino loves this movie right um Not and shocking. i i liked it a lot when i was 16 too like i thought it was funny um i thought the characters were like funny assholes and it made me laugh did not understand that bean was a derogatory term for a Mexican when I was 16. Really? Like, I don't think I knew that until I was... Because when I was watching it now, I was like, oh my god. Like, they're calling him a beaner. Like, that's why yeah. he's called the bean. Yeah. Um, Because James Conn's fr- freebie character, and he's named freebie because he just basically uses his power as a police officer to take everything that he wants. Yeah, he gets gratuities like, from... Life. Right, yeah. Um is so overly racist throughout the entire movie and calls Alan Arkin a spick and a wetback and a greaser and just like every Mm -hmm. Hispanic slur you can imagine is just consistently heaped upon this weird... They have Alan Arkin, who's... Like, I, I looked this up because I was like, maybe he has some Hispanic, like, heritage, but... None. Hungarian Jew, like his family... Um, and what's her name? Uh, Valerie, um, or not Valerie, uh, what's her name? Loretta Swift? No, no, no. Oh. 
she doesn't no it's the other one it's valerie harper plays a mexican too oh, okay yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. no hispanic background so right. just the worst casting um i love james Kahn, but just a completely it's a really uneven and like his delivery is really like statico and it's just weird and he's completely unlikable like he does nothing in the movie that would ever make you think that like there's nothing about him that makes him a good a good character or a protagonist right but mm-hmm. laszlo kovacs is the cinematographer on this movie and this is one of those early 70s movies where they took advantage of like the aeroflex cameras and there's some amazing shit in terms of filming like in the city in tight spaces like the car chases in it and again it sets the formula of like this buddy cop thing i mean because basically um freebie and the bean are like riggs and murtaugh just completely unlikable with no redeeming characteristics where like and not in terms of their background or anything i'm just saying in terms of like their it felt like somebody was watching the odd couple one day and said oh you know what we should do we should make this uh like a cop movie and have these same roles portrayed and then just fail to put any kind of like likability into the characters. Right. The there's all kinds of things that freebie like James Conn does in the movie that are despicable. You know, he's a misogynist. He's a racist. He's homophobic. He's a bully. He's also a coward. I mean, like all these things that he's just, I mean, eight years later, isn't Nolte's ca- character is the same thing. If we're right. A hundred percent. I mean, yeah. that's what Nick Nolte is based on. I think is, right. is freebie. Sure. The one scene out of a whole movie that perfectly encapsulates just what an absolute dick he is for no reason is during the first car chase in the movie. So they're chasing this criminal, this Detroit assassin through the streets of San Francisco and they cause a huge traffic jam and an accident like this huge car like pile up. And there's this one narrow lane they can take to get through the cars. And the criminal drives through it and drives away. And James Conn drives through it. And there's some guy who's like, hey, my car got hit. And James Conn swerves over and hits his car on purpose and then keeps driving. Yeah. And it's just like, like it's 100% like there to illustrate. Like you're supposed to laugh. Like, haha, like showed that whiner. But it's just like, man, what a dick. Oh, I laughed, but it wasn't because, like, yeah, like, showing him. I laughed because it's just such a heel move. Yeah, I mean, there's some really funny, like, over-the-top physical comedy, especially in terms of, like, car accidents and stunts and stuff. You you, you can see where Dukes of Hazard was influenced by this movie. Like, the Fall Guy was influenced by this movie. I can definitely see Fall Guy. Yeah. Um, All kinds of, like, 48 Hours... You know, I, I think, again, I think that Lethal Weapon, I think, pulls a lot of, like, influence from the idea and not the execution. Um, apparently, uh, uh, Richard Richard Rush, who directed the movie, yeah. had a really contentious relationship with um, Arkin and Khan, like, on set. Really? Um, hmm. Like, did not get, they did not get along at all. Like, they hated each other. Um, the director and them? Yes. Okay. Alan Arkin and James Khan were, like, really good friends. Okay. Um, and they were kind of against... Um, and doesn't James Conn have, I I don't know a lot about James Conn, but like, doesn't he have that reputation? Alan Arkin does too, apparently. Does he? Yeah. Yeah. That they're really difficult to work with. Mm. 
Um, I mean, they give good performances, so who knows, I guess. Yeah. And no, they true. obviously, like, both of them have, have worked consistently. Yeah. Um, and it really, like, Richard Rush, he directed The Fucking Color of Money. Like, he's got, like, two movies, three movies after this. Or not The Color of Money, The um, Color of Night, the the dirty movie that's, like... The Bruce Willis movie? Yeah. Where he's, like, full frontal or whatever? Yeah. Like, that was what it was famous for? Mm. Yeah. That was, like, the last movie he directed. Oh, Okay. Because of his color of money, I thought I was like, "Oh, really?" He, that's that's. I actually like the color of money. No, no, no. I, that's not color night's not a good movie. Yeah. So I would never recommend this movie as terms of like. I enjoyed watching it just because I have like I remember watching it on a weekend where probably watched like five or six movies, like just whatever. I, I I think my friend Sean and I rented this movie and watched it together. Um, and I enjoyed it, but again, like I marked out more because I was such a Tarantino fanboy and like, I wanted to like always feel like the things that he liked, I liked, like I couldn't separate myself as a child from that hero worship. Um, so it was, it was funny to watch it again as an adult, um, funny in like a horrifying way just to see the way that like homosexuals are portrayed, people of color are portrayed, just at any non-white male gender, race, orientation, whatever, is going to be portrayed as like the butt of a joke and not a funny one. And it's 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 pretty fascinating to see that like, you know, just right before like my lifetime. So this is only 40, what, 46 years old at this point now, I guess, because um, 74 that things were so much different where like this movie could be acceptable yeah there's a apocryphal quote that kubrick called this the best movie in 1974 really yeah i cannot see that at all right because it's because it's not but filming wise like there's stuff that that laszlo kovacs does and he he's a amazing like 70s cinematographer because he did like five easy pieces um ghostbusters he did okay um, he's, he's got a bunch of stuff that like you would immediately recognize like, oh, okay. Um, I can see some of that stuff in the city with Ghostbusters. Yeah, there's, absolutely. there's a shot where they're, it's, it's the scene that ends with them going off the overpass into the elderly couple's apartment, like in their car. Right. I remember that. Where they go from being on the same level of the road as the car that they're driving under an underpass over an overpass up above to watch them like come through like these streets continuously like shooting and then come back down into and then it cuts because it doesn't last forever but it's just like such an amazingly filmed like sequence in this trash movie i don't know yeah like i i love the cinematography in it i think that rush has some really good instincts in terms of being like an action director and i think that maybe that's part of the problem is like that's the crux of the movie is pushing just those action scenes like forward yeah um and the fact that it's just so poorly written in terms of its main characters like i don't know because arkin had already been nominated for an academy award at this point i'm pretty sure and khan was a pretty well respected actor and why do you read well, the script right and be like I mean, you know what that's what i'm godfather gonna do. 72 yeah so yeah he's he's already been nominated at least by this point for sonny well i think that i think pacino was originally supposed to play freebie hmm which would have been... That actually would have been good. That would have been better, actually. 
with this uh, yeah, um, the, the dialogue. Pacino can make some bad dialogue. Well, sometimes he can make... When he was younger, he could make bad yeah. dialogue work. But as he got older, he couldn't save it anymore. He just Do you think about like maybe him playing it as kind of like a Ricky Roma? Yeah, play? no, absolutely. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I didn't like this movie that much. Although it didn't, Vincent Canby gets snarky, um, so I, I I did want to read like this paragraph from Vincent Canby because Vincent Canby's like so professional all the time in terms of Mister and Mrs. This constantly, like he's so old school. He says that Freebie and the Bean, this year's final cop comedy, seems the worst of the lot, probably because it has a cast of otherwise good actors doing bits of business, sometimes called acting as if they thought they could upstage all the movie's automobiles, which is seldom still. Cars tail one another endlessly. Sometimes they race, and every now and then there is a very complicated, very dumb all-out chase. Even a single parked car becomes something of a plot point. You finally get the feeling that a car directed this movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's as sensitive as a doorknob and as witty as a bumper sticker, and maybe one did direct it. Though the title credits list Richard Rush. <laughs> so I, I... And then he does say there's a few moments, there's... For a few minutes, there's something very funny about the movie when Bean confronts his wife and his, with his suspicions about her affair. The intensity of Miss Harper's tolerance of Bean's suspicions and the answers she has for every charge against her exactly matches Mr. Arkin's fury the rest of the time the movie is serial comic trash. Yeah, but that's, that's true. It's funny. I thought that was like... One, I, I agreed. I thought that was like one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Was you you feel? It's a weird movie because it feels like with different. If the creative forces were different behind it, it would have been an amazing movie. And it's just so many wrong decisions made so continuously throughout that it never has the chance. A lot to of be it is in the script writing process, though. I mean, from, like, a black comedy standpoint, you think about the fact that here they are, like, they have this Dukes of Hazard like, jump over a train scene, mm-hmm. and it's completely ridiculous and, like, over the top, and they immediately then drive into a parade of, like, teenagers, mm-hmm. and it's horrifying. It's like, mm-hmm. what, what am I watching? But you should, like, that's something where... Like Robert Downey Sr., um, who I think is like a really underrated director who does really good black comedy, like around the same time, like Putney Swope and Greaser's mm-hmm. Palace and stuff. Um, I think could have directed that where you would have laughed or you would have been like laughing and then like, oh my God, like what am I laughing at? But Richard Rush, she just doesn't have, he doesn't have it in him. It just so. made me realize, I don't know how you haven't gotten Putney Swope on some list on this podcast yet. The only list it would have come close to is Counterculture, I think. 21, I thought about 21 years, like, you're the only person I've ever heard talk about Putney Swope, oh, and you Putney talk Swope. about it, like, all the time. I wish the Greaser's Palace was... I, I need to see if it's available <laughs> anywhere, because that's, that's one of the most absurd movies ever made, and it... That, yeah. yeah well, I'll find a way. This was more... Um, this is more interesting about this movie than I thought, just because um, I didn't really have much to say about this movie because I didn't really care for it that much. But again, I, like- I, I do think it's there's another movie that's coming up on the next podcast list that had made me start thinking a little bit about how race relations was handled not that far before I was born. Yeah. Um, 
and this was another one that kind of made me like those two movies combined yeah i I, made me think about this and it's like but you think like you know we we were we're always watching old like 1980s wrestling promos Mm -hmm. and because yeah first i didn't remember because i saw parts of the most of this i think when i was young at some point like on cinemax or something probably it seems like cinemax would air this but I, I saw part of it at one point, and I didn't realize either until rewatching it now that the Bean was referencing right. him as being a Mexican. I mean, there's that really uncomfortable scene where he calls him Beaner. You're right. And yeah. Alan Arkin's like, you need to stop doing No, he calls yeah. him a spick. Yeah. And Alan Arkin's like, I told you, don't call me that. That's yeah. not my I'm name. I'm pretty sure I knew that term at a young age, too, just because of, like, movies like, um, I think, like, Born in East L.A., like, a lot mm-hmm. of, like, Cheech and Chong movies, like, that would come up and stuff sometimes. Yeah. I didn't see those until I was older. Gotcha. And, but, uh, you think in, like, 1986, we watch old wrestling promos from the 80s all the time, and it's yeah. like, there's that reference that Randy Savage makes right. to, like, talking about beating Tito beating Santana Tito in the Boston Garden and says he beat the Beaner in Beantown. Mexico wouldn't ask. Tito Santana. Right. I beat the Beaner and Beantown, yeah. Billy Red Lions. And it's like, that's 1987, I think. Yeah. And, like, that's still going on. Like, as, as, like, and I know he's a heel and stuff, but at the same time, um, well, I, that was just accepted. I honestly, that was just accepted like, to be able I think to do that. that. I think that African-American slurs my entire life have been mostly, like, taboo. Right. I think that Hispanic and Asian slurs were really like kind of wild, and especially like Asian slurs that were accepted all, up until like the all early through my childhood. All through my childhood, yeah, absolutely. I I remember still hearing those a lot. I mean, you just watched um, Lethal Weapon four, and sure, like there's definitely like some uncomfortable like Asian yeah. jokes at the expense of the way that Asians pronounce words and whatnot. Absolutely, in yeah. English, yeah, yeah. like in that movie. So, mm-hmm. and that's what ninety eight, ninety nine. No, that's in the 2000s, isn't it? No. No, it's it's 98. I don't know. It's 80, a, 87, 89, 92, 98 are the f- years of those four movies. Hopefully never another. No, oh, next n- next year. I know. Okay. <laughs> I got it. Okay. You did, I did tell you that. Or you knew that. Yeah, so anyway. So yeah. as a historical relic, I right. think that it has a lot of interesting, um, interesting things that carry on into... Like the you know what's another thing this movie does that establishes something that's used like in this genre all the time is the the very end like with the death oh yeah like that that becomes like a staple of like the idea whether it's done seriously or whether it's done just as a joke but the idea that like the partners died right becomes like uh so then the partner's not dead then the partner's not right dead. right yeah like but it becomes a staple of the buddy cop genre yeah. of that it's whole true. thing where it's like you, there's like the mourning period and then the person like wakes up or is faking or well in the next movie we're going to talk about that's absolutely yep yep like a major plot point i hope i have the right order here um what's next hot fuzz oh yeah that's okay it. um because it happens in a bunch of these movies actually. well it's specifically like right happens yeah, okay. in hot fuzz. so number four on your list is 2007's hot fuzz directed by edgar wright it stars Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, Jim Broadbent, Steve Coogan has a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics, a 89% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about, about the movie and what you like about it? Uh, Pegg plays a uh, um, London police officer who's among the most capable and de- um, decorated officers in the entire like London police force. Um, who's making the other officers look bad, so they conspire to send him to this... Um, 
small town where nothing happens as a quote-unquote promotion, um, which he takes umbrage with, but he still does it because he kind of gets forced to do it. Um, gets left by his girlfriend in the process. Like, basically, he's just miserable. Um, he's very black and white, very much like the law is the law, and, like, he has to follow the law and finds that it's much more laid back in the town and people are kind of resistant to his ways. Um, starts to suspect that a series of deaths are actually murders, like deaths that are deemed accidents are actually murders. Um, and then him and uh, his friend, the Frost character, um, as they develop their friendship, they start to investigate these uh, murders until they find this huge conspiracy being perpetrated by the elders of the town to help the town continue to win this best village in England award that it keeps winning every year. Um, ridiculous premise. Um, and that's it basically, you know, like it, they beat the old people and that's the movie. Um, very much out of all these movies, the most, I don't know if precious is the right word, but like most reverential homage to the genre, especially in terms of, specifically recreating like shots and scenarios and scenes from other buddy cop movies like this is this is a love letter yeah it's 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 a wink and a nod like every scene basically to something else right um not really my cup of tea humor wise like i'm not a huge fan of comedy anyway but i'm definitely not a fan of british like stiff upper lip like comedy of manners comedy um although every once in a while those are really funny to me like when they're done like exactly right but in this case i think it's more just like you're kind of just in on the joke where you're not really laughing but you understand that it's a parody and so you kind of just like go along with it um with the exception of a couple of scenes that i think are like just perfect like um frost running through the <laughs> peg is like vaulting over these um you oh, know, yeah. fences and these manicured lawns to try and catch this uh criminal and frost goes to vault him and just like runs into the first one and falls over right, and it yeah, like yeah. falls apart and it's just it's it, it's really good physical comedy really well done um and some other small things like the you know getting snacks in the middle of the work day and i don't know there, there's the, the stuff with the female officer makes makes made me laugh a few times um the thing I love most about this movie and like why I actually like really enjoy this movie, even though I kind of think it's maybe a little too long, is the Frost Peg relationship. Like I think their chemistry is like some of the best between like modern actors, like working today, people that have worked together multiple times, just their <clears throat> their timing with each other, their interaction, the feeling that you get that they actually care like really care about each other as human beings in the real world like it it, mm -hmm. it transcends we've never talked about Shaun of the dead have we no yeah. i don't know what that would ever right. maybe that might be on my modern zombie horror comedy horror maybe yeah oh my god i don't ever want to make that list <laughs> um i really like their performance um and i think there's some other small stuff in it like i I mean, it's a British movie, so the performances are all going to be, like, pretty spot on, you know, mm -hmm. and they're, even if they're just kind of, like... Who are the who are the three guys from the police department at the beginning? It's it's Martin Freeman, Nigel, um, no, Bill, Bill Nye or Bill whatever. Bill Nye and, uh... Shit, who's the third one? Like, 
It's like basically like three British like comedy right, legends. Right, I can picture him. I, yeah. I, I can't remember who it is now, but... <clears throat> it's not Terry Jones, is it? No, I can't remember who it is. Yeah, I but, don't remember either. But it's 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 a, it's a funny like little cameo. It um, is, and it's it's again like everything is very tongue in cheek, and everything is very much meant to be that wink and a nod, um, whatever, like homage to the buddy cop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now we're both looking it up. You're going to win because I accidentally swiped and it came up hot fudge. (laughs) Hot fudge. So, Ray Bennett of The Hollywood Reporter, while Mm -hmm. you're looking that up, says that it's fast and furious, loud, and there's lots of gunplay, but screenwriters Edgar Wright, who directs, and Simon Pegg, who stars, failed to deliver the comic goods or the thrills in their cop show lark. Hot fuzz the way they did in the movie spoof Shaun of the Dead. Uh, Everyone can relate to the zombie picture, but Hot Fuzz is Point Break meets the Vicar of Dibley. It's most unlikely that outside the UK, the Twain's devotees know one another. Non-Brit action fans won't know or care about the village stereotypes, and those who find the excitement of Midsummer murders quite sufficient will be turned off. The film is done well at home, so there could be a quick and possibly healthy box office return in its U.S. release based on the promise of Sean. It's more likely to enjoy a longer life on DVD. Yeah, that's pretty pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, a good lampoon requires affection as well as a sharp eye for mockery, but it appears that Wright and Pegg's Peg love their shoot 'em up flicks they touch too much. When Peg, as an ace city cop assigned to the rural backwater, and Nick Frost as a bumbling village constable, get their shotguns pumping and nine millimeters blazing, comedy goes out the window. All the action is staged with energy, but it gets relentless without anything really funny going on. Peg shoots for last by playing it right down the middle, like Dan Aykroyd doing Dragnet. Oh, I forgot about Dragnet. Again, Peg's stupid. Dragnet should have made the list. Yep, Peg's yeah. stupid fat sidekick Frost remains bereft of any observable, observable talent for comedy. When the two start flying through the air with automatics kicking, you'd bet they would give anything to be in a Robert Rodriguez film and not in a comedy at all. So, two things I do want to bring up there: How do you think they handle what he's talking about and what he calls Point Break meets the Vicar of Dibley? That idea of like how those two worlds intersect with one another. Do you think that's handled well in the movie? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, only that... Only that that's that's exactly the right characterization for it. So, I think it's exactly what they're going for. And, like... I think it's fine. Again, like I think that the movie's exact it it knows it mm-hmm. knew what it wanted to be. It achieved what it set out to do and you know, it just works. Like if if you it's not offensive, there's nothing about it that you could say is poorly made. Again, I think maybe it's like 10 to 15 minutes like overlong. But you're not bored watching it the whole time. Right. You're not overly entertained watching it the whole time. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it it's fine. Yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to ask you about is um, 
his his you 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 like Nick Frost, right? I do. I love yeah. Him. Um. Yeah, I find that I I find it interesting. Is like I'm I'm okay with Nick Frost. Like I I think he works well in both of these. This movie and Shaun of the Dead. Um, what little I've seen of him outside of that, I'm I'm not a huge fan. But I think he works particularly with Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg all the time. I sure. I think he works really well. And here's the thing, like, I think he has a very good everyman, like, a very tactile humanity to him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he feels like a person when you watch him act. Mm -hmm. And I think that's exactly what his character, the characters he portrays, I mean, that's what they need to be, you know? Yeah. They're schlubs. They're not overly bright. But, you know, they're just loyal, like, good dudes that like to drink beers and just want to, like, live their lives watching action movies or whatever. And that's what the character is. I mean, there's no, like, not a super amount of depth to it. Although I think that he does a good job of, like, infusing it with, you know, a really good humanity. But it's, you know, it's whatever. It's actually a really good list idea. I was just trying to think of what list could we force Dragnet on now is television movies that have been adapted from television shows oh yeah that's 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 a good list yeah but dragnet definitely should have been on this list now that I, i've yeah i'm, about I'm dragnet really disappointed that i missed because that. dragnet is like like one of my favorite 80s comedies yeah it's one of the few that we like really agree on almost 100 yeah. percent. like i think dragnet's a fantastic because both Ackroyd and hanks in in mm. that movie is are, are awesome yeah. um his joe friday is so good the virgin county swale um <clears throat> In fact, he always has to refer to her as the Virgin Connie Swale is amazing. <laughs> so anyway, if you haven't seen Hot Fuzz, like, yeah, it it's it's enjoyable enough to watch, and it's definitely like some people will get more out of it than others. I think, but sure. no one will be offended by it. And no one will think that it's a bad movie. So right. Um, so the third actor was Steve Coogan, Steve Coogan, which works as a nice transition into number three on your list. As long as I have the list here, right? Um, which is the other guys? No, no. You, you told me this is what you told me. Yeah, like really? Night. Yeah. Well, we can yeah. go ahead and do it. <laughs> it offends me that that's fine. No, no, I know, I know what it is. Then okay, you're you're offending me. Um, so <laughs> number three on your list then is 1987's Lethal Weapon, right? Directed by Richard Donner, starring Danny Glover, Mel Gibson, Gary Busey, Tom Atkins. Has an 82% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and an 86% from audiences. Yeah. I think everybody knows about this movie, but do you want to give them a brief synopsis? Um, I mean, this is the... This is the... The archetypical buddy cop movie from the 80s. And, you know, the Riggs and Murtaugh characters, I think, are... From our childhood specifically, but even like beyond that, iconic characters, everyone knows Riggs and Murtaugh. Sure. You know, they were, you, we all made jokes about them like in school from a very early age, like we knew who those characters were. Mm -hmm. You'd always make like Riggs jokes and, mm -hmm. um, I don't even, I don't know. It's, there's some nefarious shit going on and. <laughs> Riggs is depressed and Murtaugh's just trying to work towards his retirement and they get sucked into it and it ends with martial arts on a lawn in the in the rain at Christmas. I don't know. Okay. So just just full disclosure here, I'm pretty sure Frank only put this on this list for me. No, that's not true. 
because I don't care about you. <laughs> this movie, I tried as hard as I could to justify not putting this movie on this list. And I looked at like all kinds of different other possibilities of things that I could put on this list in place of this movie, but there's no other... And Beverly Hills Cop might have taken the place of it if we hadn't talked about it like kind of recently. But even Beverly Hills Cop, which I think is a much better movie, there's no other movie that perfectly encapsulates this genre than Lethal Weapon. And Lethal Weapon might honestly be the best buddy cop movie ever. Uh, like, I wouldn't argue that point. It's just, I think, shows my disdain for the genre. And the fact that... I don't know. Why don't you... Why, why don't you tell the audience what you like about Lethal Weapon? What I like about Lethal yeah, Weapon? Yeah, so there's I don't have so, to. There, there's, so, there's so many good things about Lethal Weapon. But it's Look, all, like, very personal, subjective, like, in the sense of, like, the things that, like... In all fairness... I really enjoyed watching Lethal Weapon when I watched it again a couple weeks ago. Right. I was surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did. Because it's a fun movie. But it's a bad movie. It's not. It is. It's, it's not. So, it's so over the top. It is. It's it's nonsensical. But that's the thing. is like That's what makes it so fun. And this is where I think we disagree on comedy sometimes is that like you just see it as nonsensical sometimes and it's like that's the like that's the summaries what makes it so great. But in my opinion it's not a comedy. I think it's yeah. only funny cuz it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Well that's what makes that the enjoyment but there's so many things that are just like awesome in it. So okay, so first of all like <laughs> the the opening scene of Hunsaker's daughter like that's at, might be the first breast I ever saw <laughs> in nineteen like eighty eight or something like on in, like in a movie. Yeah. So it holds a special place in my heart for that. It, it, but then moment. I think it might be the also the first suicide off of like leaping off a building I ever saw in a movie as well. So I think it also so that tell me that didn't damage me probably in some way. Um. <clears throat> so. Mm. And then. It's to the to Jingle Bell Rock, right? Which is probably like my favorite Christmas song outside of maybe the uh, the Charlie Brown stuff. Um, is Jingle Bell Rock, and it's purely because of the fond memories I have of this movie. Like, you know, you know what's funny about that too. I think Jingle Bell Rock might be my least favorite Christmas song. Hmm. I honestly despise Jingle Bell Rock. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just me all over the place here, Frank. Okay, so let me tell you things that are actually good about this movie, I think. Is I think all right. Mel Gibson is amazing in this role. Sure. Like absolutely incredible. He, like look, Danny Glover's good too. Like he's he he he's he defines this you know, that straight guy, I think, in a lot of ways going forward for a long time at least. Um Danny Glover's performance. But I think Gibson's performance as the cop on the edge, you know, it's a stereotype, but, right. but he helps, I think, create the oh, he redefine the stereotype, defines that character for yeah, the so, rest of time, right? Basically. Yeah, absolutely. And but he brings such an intensity to that performance at times when when he's like in his trailer on the beach and he's puts the gun in his mouth early on in that movie, right. Um, or under his, sorry, under, under his, his, like, yeah, under, yeah. under his chin. Um, you know, like, just like the way his, like, you know, his, his, he's like, uh, like, as he's crying, like, that his, like, forehead tenses. 
and like you know his face starts getting red and like he's so like just he wants to do it so bad and just can't like the performance there is one of my favorite like really good performances in terms of like somebody like getting ready to like blow their head off um i love that like he's really great in it um I think there's actual funny stuff in the movie that's not just over the top and ridiculous. Sure, I, agree I think with the that. suicide jumper scene, hilarious scene, yeah, um, where he handcuffs himself. And it's like you know, like like because he's so over the top and like right. ready to die. It's like you want to die, you want to <laughs> like, jump, let's jump, right? Um, I think that's great. And then go, but I think it's like that it can go directly from that, which is funny into that really tense scene with him and Murtaugh where Murtaugh like pulls mm-hmm. him into the store. Um, it's a good scene. And like, and he's like, you know, like, tell me the truth. Like, do you want to die? And it's like Gibson's little monologue there is again, like fantastic. Like I have like parts of it burned into my memory for life. For like now, granted, I watched this movie. I taped it off of um, HBO mm-hmm. like at the time and had it on VHS. Th- it was this and Wind in the Willows we're on the same VHS tape. Jesus. Um, so that's a double feature, <laughs> right? Um, what is it like? Uh, what is it you want to hear, man? You you want to hear that I think about eating a bullet? Like eating a bullet's first time I ever heard that phrase, and it's like Jesus. Like what a something that like even a, like what's the Bill Kill Bill line? Something even a child can understand. Like you know, like the, right. Um, <clears throat> But and then the guy has a special bullet just for the occasion, which again is so cheesy to some degree right. because it comes back later with like when it like the delivers the bullet to Murtal's wife and he'll know what I what it means that he's like given up on the idea of like killing himself. But still, like I think that stuff like is as heavy handed it is like for the eighties. I also think it's awesome. Like I I absolutely love it. Um, <clears throat> Things that make me laugh that probably shouldn't make me laugh are th- are things like um, I love the scene where they go to um, the house and it blows up and the little black kids are all like playing and they have to go interview the black kids. And, you know, Murtal's trying to be like way too like childlike and he's like you know oh so what did you see like and i think it's really like watching danny glover do that's really funny but then like he finds out like that it's the guy that showed up to blow the house up has like a tattoo and it's like it's like that and they point to like gibson's tattoo and it's like what are the odds like that like two of the guys in this one special unit have this tattoo but Uh anyway um and uh oh what is it what is it um Painted, right. no, paint. oh, 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 there's the painted thing, yes, painted which makes me laugh. Whatever. Yeah, like, oh, he's painted. Um, oh, oh, a tattoo. Like, it's, uh, Glover kills me in that scene. But they walk away, and there's like, you know, is like Raj. That's a special forces tattoo. <laughs> and and Raj Murtaugh's like special forces tattoos, mercury switches. What the hell have we gotten ourselves into? And it's like that right. kind of shit kills me. It's like it's so to the point and just ridiculous that I love it so much. So I think our childhoods, like in terms of our nostalgia, are a lot yeah. different. Like what, like we hold dear. So for me, it's more fantasy and. Mm-hmm horror and science fiction whatever even and not necessarily this i think my i I think the reason why i cannot take this movie seriously is because it is 
such a perfect example of it that it's become a meme. Like, yeah. I know it more as a meme. Yeah. You know, I know more, whatever, uh, Rainer Wolfcastle mm-hmm. in The Simpsons, you know, doing McBain. Sure. Then I know Lethal Weapon at this point in my life. And I I I hate the way this movie looks. Yeah. Like, this movie, for as much as I love the way movies look in the 70s, this movie 100% is a 1980s movie and looks like it. Mm-hmm. In its color saturation, in its film stock, in the angles that are used. And I think... I mean, honestly, like, Richard Donner is an amazing director. Mm -hmm. Like, I love Richard Donner. Yeah. But this movie, it's just... Look, Hunsaker gets shot. He gets shot from a helicopter by a sniper. And it couldn't just be that ridiculous that on this palatial estate, like, on the sea... He gets taken out by a sniper from a helicopter outside his house. He also had to be drinking milk. A glass of milk. A glass of milk so that you could <laughs> so the like the that that red and white could like mix. Uh it's it's re- over, mean, so so over the top. The end of the movie is by the books Murtaugh staking his badge on mm-hmm. Riggs beating Gary Boosie in like an Aikido fight on his yeah. front lawn. Hey, it's Muay Thai. Muay Thai. And, and, and apparently it's the first time Muay Thai actually shows up in a movie. Um for like 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 in like a like a eighties action movie like type thing, like outside of like actual like martial arts and stuff like that. Yeah. It's like one of the first times it's like actually like real Muay Thai shows up. But there's like legitimately funny lines in this though. Like the dialogue at times like you can see Shane Black where he ends up having such crackling sure. dialogue later in his life. Because it's like there's shit like in it where it's what does he say? That's the same, same out, same jackrabbit albino like son of a bitch that that like hit Hunsacker and like Murtaugh's like you know are you sure? And he's like I never forget an asshole. <laughs> it's like there's like really good stuff like that at Look, times. Right, agreed. And, and really, I'm not telling you this is a bad movie at all. It's just not. It's just not my. Right. She's not my cup of tea. I was like just texting you lines when I was watching right, it. Right. Like, that are just like. And I was thinking, oh, I got to watch this movie now. Right. Like, like oh, there's such over the top things of like when like they decide they're going to go after the, the bad guys, Busey and the, and, and, the, and the general. Right. And there's that like really tense scene. And I love like the jazz like music in the back of this. Because <laughs> again, so it's much. so over the top. But there's like a scene where he's like, Murtaugh's like, are you really as good as you say you are? <laughs> He's like, you got to trust me on this, Raj. <laughs> it's so good. We're going to get bloody on this. Like, so, brilliant. This this movie is, like, brilliant in all the best and worst ways possible. Yeah. I love it. I'm glad that it's now been taken care of so we never have to talk about it again. Him staking his badge, though. Like, on this fight. Like, because he's... Don't get so- involved! Right, right. I'll stake my badge on it! <laughs> They're in his yard. Like, there's a car through his house. Right. Fucked up the man's Christmas tree. Awesome. I don't know. It's so good. Let's move it's on. A, to it's a good movie fight, though, too, at the end. Oh, you know, look, again, Richard Donner is a fantastic director. Shane mm. Black is a fantastic writer. One, one of my favorite modern, like, screenwriters. Mm. 
Gibson and Glover and Busey, mm-hmm. all of them, fantastic in this movie. Yeah. It is just... It's a shame what happened to Busey, really. Like, I was thinking about it when I was watching it. Oh, it was like, yeah. he could have been, like, a, a heavy for decades to come. Oh, right. Like, really, really solid one, too. Yeah. If you... Like, people love Lethal Weapon, and they love it for good reason. And it's just like... I don't know, man. Like, I love Die Hard, and I can watch Die Hard, but this is... Like, I consider this and Die Hard to be companion pieces. Yeah. In terms of, like, too. the action films of the 80s yep. and their influence. I just can't do this one. I don't know. Yeah. But I understand its importance, and I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah and it's going to become very important for the number two movie. Right. Because my Coogan segue didn't work, so... Right. <laughs> This will nicely segue into your number two movie on the list. Yes. Okay, so number two on your list is The Other Guys from 2010, directed by Adam McKay, stars Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg, Ava Mendez, Michael Keaton. Has a 78% from critics on Round Tomatoes and a 60% from audiences. That's really weird to me. Yeah, me too. I actually, I wrote it down, but then I forgot about it. Yeah. So... What is about this movie? You want to tell people a little bit about what it is? and So this is the straight comedy on this list. Um, well, I guess Hot Fuzz is sort of a straight comedy too, but just in a different way. This is like much more just as loving, I think, of like an homage to buddy cop movies, especially stuff like Lethal Weapon. Um, Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg are two... Um, New York City police detectives who are kind of reviled and mocked by their um, colleagues, uh, Will Ferrell for being like a fastidious sort of like desk cop who just researches things like permit violations and Wahlberg because he's shot Derek Jeter um, during the World Series. Um Due to the death of like these the two these two prominent detectives uh, played by um, The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson in pretty pretty hilarious like minor roles, um, they sort of like almost unwittingly get drawn into this conspiracy um, involving the stock market and defrauding the police pension, um, and basically have to figure out even though they're told not to investigate it, like what's happening. And I, I don't know. I mean, the plot really is kind of the, the plot's relevant, but it's also sort of irrelevant to what I love about the movie. Um, as much as I'm not like a huge fan of straight comedies, one of the funniest movies I've seen in probably 20 years, um, a really good blend of just straight, like physical, humor and just kind of absurdist humor which i think is like one of the things that i love about when when a comedy works it's mostly because of it's enough absurdity where it's not so over the top something like the hangover which i think is like too absurdist and i don't really find that funny um but almost like surreptitiously absurd in its own way um Fantastic performances by um, Farrell and Wahlberg. Um, I I think Farrell Farrell's kind of like the Nick Cage of comedies in a way. Like he's a guy that makes 
yeah. so many movies that you kind of get oversaturated by him. And sometimes people just let him be himself too much, which can be grating or monotonous just in like... He's a guy that needs to be reeled in a lot yeah. of times, yeah. And in this movie, it's the perfect blend of like him playing straight and when he's more... not. Not not the butt of the joke, even though the character is the butt of the joke. He's more the facilitator of the joke as opposed to, like, creating the action that you're laughing at. And a lot of times you're laughing at his calm, like, Im- Im- implacable, like, response to a ridiculous situation. Mm-hmm. Um, like, <laughs> it's like early on when Mark Wahlberg compares himself to a shark and... Right, yeah. Or no, he's a lion. Yeah, yeah I- <laughs> He's like, well, I'm a... <laughs> now we have a taste we're dolphins now we have a taste for blood yeah it's <laughs> that that whole little monologue right. is really funny yep. didn't didn't end the way you thought it was gonna end did it <laughs> um i i i like this movie pays off like it's jokes really well you know because it it has the whole opening sequence you know with especially with that song that um I don't know, it was like omnipresent in like every trailer in like 1997. I I think it's a Black Eyed Peas song or something. It's the, um, you know, with The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson, like in this ridiculous car chase with all these explosions and mm-hmm. like property damage. And the payoff to that is, you know, it was like $76 in weed they were chasing them down for. And <laughs> Right. Yeah. They go through like a tour bus, like they, like. They get the car like, like wedged they, in a tour bus that then right. the rock drives the tour bus <laughs> and spins to launch Samuel L. Jackson in his car, like d- guns akimbo, like uh-huh. shooting at these uh-huh. these criminals. <laughs> yes, for, for no. like a minor weed bust. Yeah. Um, and then them jumping off the roof, like straight homage to Lethal Weapon. Yeah, but then there being nothing like <laughs> aim for those bushes. Yeah, it's aim just for the, the bushes. Right, city street below, and yeah. they just splatter. Right. Um, which is a, which is a brilliant concept that like the other guys like is like those those are the guys. Right, the they're movie. the guys. Right, and that would be like normally what the movie would be about. Right. But these are the other guys. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's this this group of comedians the adam mckay group of comedians you know that are in everything um do a really good job here nothing i think is like really over the top um coogan plays a really good like smarmy almost like straight role they're just i don't ever like to talk about like just talk about scenes and why the scenes are funny but there's so much funny stuff in the movie that like one of the things could we were talking about this last night um you know off off air or whatever where i remember things about this movie and i feel like they happen a lot more than they actually do Mm -hmm. like um one of the funnier plot points is that uh will ferrell in college was a pimp right and had a stable of whores and basically um got poison ivy in his asshole and that's how he met his wife and that's what caused him to like turn straight and become a detective so he could like control himself but he was he was called gator and he was like just this hard like scary criminal basically in college and you you think about the gator references and it feels like it happens all the time yeah but it's maybe twice in the movie yeah um and, and it's done 
it's done just enough. Like usually that's exactly what you just described and how you describe it is normally the type of thing I would hate. Right. Same in here. these Adam McKay movies, but it's 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 controlled just enough to where it doesn't go over the top too much. Yeah. And there's so many like I'm really surprised that it's that low on an audience scale. Cause I think this movie, like as much as people love things like Step Brothers, um, old school, like whatever, like just there's, as there's just as much love for those movies. There's also a lot of people that hate all those movies just because of Will Ferrell being. It's a Will Ferrell Adam McKay comedy, and they dislike them for that reason. You know, like Mark Wahlberg's character, ironically learned how to ballet dance so he can make fun of the kids that were like seriously learning how to ballet dance like they, yeah. they, so they could make fun of him better and that's one of the best lines is will will ferrell's like so you learn to dance ironically to make fun of someone else well yeah yeah uh, the the that mark Wahlberg character is my favorite part of the entire thing because when i said that there's like a segue between like lethal weapon and this the idea is that this is really using to some degree the lethal weapon model in right. terms of, like, the cop who's always angry and is on the edge in Mark, Mark Wahlberg and kind of, like, the stuffy, you know, desk jockey type right. in terms of the, the feral character. and um, But it's kind of subverting and undercutting that macho stereotype by the fact that, he, yes, he knows how to ballet dance. He's actually really sensitive. He knows a lot about interior design. He knows a lot about interior design, right. And those kind of things, I think, are, like, a really funny subversion of that macho role um and it's obvious that he didn't learn how to dance ironically like right well because then when he becomes like a traffic cop later as like his demotion right he's out there dancing and he's winning like traffic cop of the month awards (laughs) right yeah yeah um yeah just there's a lot of really like i i think it's got a good heart to it um i think it doesn't take itself too seriously within the context of like its own ridiculous universe that it's created um it has small moments that pay off like almost immediately or they pay off later um the dirty mike and the boys thing with um where their their his prius gets like left and then a gang of homeless men had an orgy in it and then later you know like they're sitting there having this moment of reflection with each other and you know <laughs> we're about to get in this prius you guys want to come with us I'm like no this is our prius we're definitely going to have sex in your prius later and it's just and uh, like you think about things like that like i think about that and that feels like that happens three or four times in the movie yeah, but it's only but it's really just like the reference before and then that one time and then that's it right um i don't know it's it's hard for me to explain when a comedy yeah. works and it works as a buddy cop movie Oh, absolutely. In yeah. the sense that they there's there is a chemistry and a camaraderie between the two of them and it mm-hmm. pays off really well at the end and it never tries to bog you down with the other really good subplot of this movie is we were talking about it last night was well, Farrell's wife Ava played by Ava Mendez. Yeah. Uh, that the joke is she's way too hot for Will Farrell. Right. And Mark Wahlberg's character can't wrap his mind around the idea that she's with him right and keeps trying to find out like why that's happening and the fact that Farrell seems to be really dominant in that relationship and is always downing his wife all the time for her looks or the way she dresses the way she cooks. right why she cooks like all that kind of stuff um 
and like Mark Wahlberg's like falling in love with her. What was I forgot it? And you told me last night. What was what is I, it? I couldn't he, remember, but it's he makes her like, like the beneficiary of his will or something like or that. Or his Mark pallbearer. Wahlberg he names her as a pallbearer in his funeral. Right. Yeah, but there's that hilarious scene where they go to dinner and he just can't figure. He's so confused and he can't figure any of it out. And he's saying good night to him. Bye, Sheila. Right. It's just. Bye, just, bye, bye, Sheila. Right. Thanks again, Sheila. And Will Ferrell's character is like sitting there, like, "Yeah, have a good night, Terry." Like, you know, it's like, "Bye, bye, Sheila." Like, I love you. Do you think he can't hear me? Right. No, I. That's um, a really good scene. I Man, I really like. Again, there's not a whole lot of nuance to it, and no, like subtext. It's just a really yeah. spot-on, fantastic parody of the yeah. genre, and a great uh, cameo, like kind of performance from Michael Keaton, who plays oh yeah. A, a captain who works at Bed Bath and Beyond part time and is always like quoting TLC songs. But again, that's the thing where like you think it happens a lot, but it, it really like only happens. Yeah. It's twice. No, nah. it's when they're in the station and he's telling them like you you gotta you gotta back off like don't pursue this, don't go chasing waterfalls. Mm-hmm. And Will Ferrell says, "Did you just quote TLC?" And he's like, "No, I don't think I did." He's like, no, I think you did. He's like, no, that's that's not what that was. And then when they when they meet him in Bed Bath and Beyond later, he says, um, he's he's telling them that if they're going to do it, they have to do it right, and you got to get the bus. He's like, because I don't want no scrubs. Right. Yeah. And Will Ferrell says, no, see, you're definitely doing it. And he's like, you got to you got to be undercover on this. You got to be quiet. You got to creep. And he's like, see. And then that just that's the end right. Of it. But then it, no, it's, it happens at the very end too. Again, like when like they've been they both been shot. And he comes over, like the captain comes over. Oh, and right, you're and right. He quotes more stuff. Yeah, yeah, so it's three times, I guess. Yeah, but but still not overdone. No, just not really funny, funny and yeah. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I love this movie. I was no idea why I would have watched this movie in the first place because it's definitely not something. I think maybe somebody told me about it, and it actually I think it was probably me. Something like I might want to watch. Wesley and I watched it one Saturday, and um. I'm pretty sure I told you about him. That was really funny. Because um, I told you about the aim for the bushes thing. And I yeah. Think, and yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Um, but like this and Napoleon Dynamite are like the two comedies that I really love. Since like I think there's more than the that, year but 2000. The, but point taken. Yeah. Um, but uh, if if you've never seen it, you should watch it. And it's it, it goes by really quick. And I, I think it's genuinely like a, a, a fantastic like comedy. So. Yeah. Okay, so then number one on your list is 2016 16 movie uh, directed by Shane Black, who wrote Lethal Weapon, The Nice Guys. It stars Kurt Russell. I'm sorry, Kurt Russell. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Jumping ahead um, podcast. Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling, and uh, Angori Rice. It is a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and a 79% from audiences. Want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what you like about it so much. Uh, this is a like um Shane Black is really great at this like modern noir um, adaptation of or whatever like these modern noir crime movies. Um, we've talked about Kiss Kiss Bang Bang before, which is fantastic as well. And just so we're clear, we talked about that on what modern crime. I think mm-hmm. is where that showed up. But yeah, this would that would probably be here in this place oh, yeah, yeah, if yeah. we hadn't talked about it already, right? Yeah. Um, this this is a good like one B in terms of like those movies. So, um, Gosling and Gosling is a alcoholic kind of scumbag private investigator um, who can't get over the death of his wife, who's hired to. 
um, track down uh, the daughter of a, uh, what is she, the secretary, some important politician, the secretary of the interior maybe or something, I can't remember what she, that role is, but um, this daughter who's kind of like moved to Los Angeles in the 1970s and has gotten into the porn industry, um, Russell Crowe is a sort of like Bud White-esque, uh, burly, also private investigator who's hired by the girl to kind of throw people off of her trail. Um, like every Shane Black movie, there's more like insidious things occurring. Um, the two of them eventually team up to find this girl, um, along with the help of Gosling's like 12 year old daughter, um, who's both like precocious and like worldly beyond her years. Um, they uncover like a huge conspiracy that's meant to, um, basically protect the Detroit automotive industry. Um, and I don't know, lots of things happen. And in the end, they don't manage to save the girl and they really just kind of take down the girl's mother, but it's sort of revealed that like bad things are going to continue to happen anyway, because you know, money is more important than people. It's kind of a depressing like story really. Um, really great, uh, chemistry and performances from Gosling and Crow. Um, Crow in particular just is playing sort of completely out of his type as this probably like 20 pounds overweight, sort of like still like tough, but getting like kind of over the hill, um, streetwise, like tough guy. Um, to Gosling's sort of reminds me. So we, we've been watching better. We, we watched the fourth season of better call Saul, both of us recently kind of reminds me of that Jimmy character, like a guy who's gets in his own way almost on purpose because he's afraid of being successful in some ways, or does he wants to wallow so much in the misery of like losing his wife that he can't allow himself to be like a good father and a good Mm -hmm. detective, even though he has, good instincts and like actually you know is shown to be like competent almost in spite of himself um really like black really captures the feel of like the 1970s well Mm -hmm. um just in the the look of the movie and the language and um some really good action sequences in it um some really good heavies uh Oh, what's his name? The guy, the, the, the black guy that's the one. Um, yeah, who who is that's uh, uh, Keith David. Yeah, Keith David. Yeah, Keith David. Henchman. Yeah. Really good job there. Yeah. Um, just. Which is really interesting because Keith David's old as shit now. He still yes. looks really good for his age, but he's old as shit. Like, he's got to be, like, late 60s, I'd say. Yeah. And, yeah, I. And he was in his 40s, I'm pretty sure, during Clocker. So, like, was. And then. Yeah, I think you're right. But it's um and Matt Bomer's in it too, um, which doesn't get like a lot of like necessarily like dialogue or anything like that. But he works really well in terms of just like playing that assassin yeah. character because I mean he little little John right yeah John little, Boy John Boy John Boy because he has like those mannerisms that like when he was on like Chuck and then um right white collar like of like he's really skilled at being able to kind of do a lot of like physical like action stuff and also maintain this like air of 
suave detachment kind yeah. of. Um, and like uber confidence in himself. Yeah. It, it's, there's a lot you could talk about in this movie because it works really well. I think of all the movies on this list, it's probably the best example of like the buddy cop with them, like just in terms of their dynamic with them kind of being at like opposite ends and then coming together for a common purpose and then finding like friendship and loyalty with each other. And ultimately in the end, like they team up to kind of form the detective agency of the two of them. Yeah. Very similar to the way kiss kiss bang bang goes yeah yeah it's 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 a pretty perfect neo-noir as well like mm-hmm. it it does the right thing with feeling reverential to like the basic format of a noir but still having like a lot of modern jokes and kind of sardonic humor to it um it's it's a really great black comedy like there's things that remind me sometimes of get shorty in the way that it plays out um definitely kiss kiss bang bang um you know it's just it's 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 a really good really entertaining movie um i don't know i don't know how much it grossed i don't think it was like super popular at the box office it made 63 million so it made a profit against a budget of 50 um but just a really entertaining fun movie like i i love the noir aspects of it i like the I like kind of like the seediness because it reminds me so one of my one of my favorite movies that I don't know will ever make a list because it's like always like I like it a lot but I don't like it as much as something else that would be on a similar list is um hardcore mm. from the late 70s um George C Scott movie about a guy mm-hmm. trying to find his daughter who's been sucked into like the porn industry yep and it's kind of like kind of pays homage to that in some ways but then turns it on its head by making it like you know, it's because she's the girl um, that they're looking for is part of this banal, like revolutionary group of protesters that's not really protesting anything. And they're all just kind of like lazy, like deadbeat hippies. And she thinks that they're doing this great thing by using porn to like illustrate the ills of Detroit and, you know, the fact that like catalytic converters are polluting the air and the birds can't breathe. That's, that's one of them yeah. to me. The funniest thing yeah, yeah. is them like, right. we're all dead, but you're wearing gas masks. Wouldn't that protect you from the, from the gas? Like, oh, it didn't protect the birds and the birds can't breathe. Yeah. It's just, no, it's, it's, it's really yeah. good. Um, but yeah, just a really great movie. I, I think Shane Black is really underrated um, in a lot of ways as a director. Maybe he's properly like esteemed, but, I always think he does a really good job and, you know, he's definitely the master of that snappy, quick wit, you know, patter dialogue of people like talking in a way that's believably realistic, but still slightly elevated where kind of like a low low-end version of like Gilmore Girls style dialogue and the way that people talk to each other and just how witty people are but there still is like a, a humanity to it that doesn't feel like forced or it's interesting because the criticism that I like chose for this is this guy uh, Matthew Lagona from the San Diego Reader one of his criticisms is that he says this a movie like this should be uh, both great fun and warmly human but it isn't either of those 
He says, Gosling is an antic monkey who can't put across the guilt he supposedly feels over his wife's death and the loss of his family home. Crow can't seem to distinguish between world weariness and the regular kind. The daughter isn't so much wise beyond her years as she is a miniature adult, except when the script necessitates otherwise. I do agree with that. Um, and until the admittedly bang-up finish, the story, story lurches along like it's overindulged at one of its own parties. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah, he he doesn't see the humanity in it like whatsoever. Um, so what do you find like so human like about? The- I mean, I think Russell Crowe definitely like I I don't agree with him at all. I think Russell Crowe definitely captures a world weariness and a like a dogged determination to do the right thing while not appearing like he's playing a game where he's willing to play by certain rules, but he's also willing to break those rules if it means like he's can help someone because he really does want to be like a good, like a nice guy in general, even though he does bad stuff. I mean, it's the Bud White character from LA. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we we talked about this the other night. Like this is Bud White without the criminal element to him. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and Russell, well, it's funny because yeah, it's like his, um, his sad eyes, you know, in uh, LA confidential, Mm-hmm. like he's got the same thing here but he's got you know 25 years of weight and yeah world weariness like on top of him yeah um, which i think to some degree even makes it more effective and i think that gosling maybe gosling doesn't per- I, I don't know i mean he's not really given the chance to really portray it he's mostly just portrayed as an alcoholic and a yeah like a bad father but that he doesn't want to be a bad father he just can't get over whatever it is yeah he's the he i think i told you this last night i think when we were talking about is like he to me he's that's the weakest part of like the out of these three main principal characters to me is gosling i just think there's a little there's almost like a little like too much mania like a hunter thompson type thing with him at times where it's like it feels a little bit more slapstick than maybe it should feel um he called it antic monkey which um I get where he's coming from, I guess. He's, but. he's He's got a wiry energy because you're never supposed to feel that this guy could ever come out on the right side of a fist fight. Like, he's not a guy that's ever gotten by by his toughness or, you know, overt brawn. It's just his, his wits, and he's dulling his wits with alcohol and depression, basically. Um, I don't know. I, I think the dialogue's really great in it. I think there's a lot of really good like solid you know not only just one-liners which i think shane black is really yeah, good at but he is. you know like slow build of character development and i think it's believable that they come together as kind of friends and colleagues in the end yeah, and there's that mutual respect that you know crow kind of does help gosling realize how important his daughter is and realize like how much he's kind of fucked up and even though like it never absolves him like he's not sober and completely fine at the end like he's you feel like they're at least like both on the right path to this young woman that uh plays the daughter though i really thought she was excellent in yeah, this. even really though cool. i have the criticism of the character writing of it like a little bit just where it goes back and forth between whether she's a kid or whether she's an adult kind of but um but no she's excellent i think she has great chemistry with both of those leads throughout it do you think that um I don't want to call it stunt casting, but do you think that uh, casting Basinger and Crow is like on purpose in some ways? I have a feeling that Crow was probably cast first, and then I think Kim Basinger was probably stunt casting a little bit, just as a reference to 
LA Confidential. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie is um, the daughter is chastised by Ryan Gosling at one point for saying and stuff at the end of things. And he says, no, like if you're talking about it, just say the thing. You don't need to add in stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she's at a party later and this coked out like porn actress says, oh, then they come in and do anal and stuff. And she says, no, don't say and stuff. Just say they come in and do anal. Yeah. And it's just, it's, I, it, it, it's a really funny, it is yeah. really, really uncomfortable. Cause this is a 12 year old girl sure, like, watching sure. hardcore porn with like, yeah. A criminal element but it still is, is really well delivered and yeah but it, i mean it has i think it has enough like humor and good faith about it like in terms of what it's trying to do that it doesn't feel uncomfortable necessarily yeah, even though but it yeah it's is. just a, it's 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 a really good movie and again like for a genre that i'm not a huge fan of i think it's a really good example of it and like i genuinely enjoy the movie and really yeah. had a good time this is a second i watched it Monday or Tuesday, maybe, and there was the second time I'd seen it. Since. Yeah, as much as I liked Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, like I, yeah, I hadn't watched this yet, so it kind of flew under the radar because it came out at the same time as several other things that. Yeah, you know what it was. I, I'm, I might be wrong with this. This came out right around the time of Inherent Vice, which I, I think also it was haven't seen. Inherent Vice and Nightcrawler mm. all at the same time, and yeah. they all kind of had the same feel to them. Yeah, like that sleazy seventies, right. and. I just didn't see any of them when they came out, so... Yeah, I think I've determined that's the only... Because that's P.T. Anderson, right? Is Inherent Vice? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's the only P.T. Anderson movie I haven't seen. Um, Have you seen Nightcrawler? No. Yeah, Night... The, no, what, what's the movie I just watched? Drive. No, Drive, it was right. Drive that I watched like a month or so ago, which I really liked. But no, I haven't seen Nightcrawler. Yeah, yet. I want to watch Inherent Vice. That's, I actually that's Gyllenhaal, Hall, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. I have a hard time with his movies for some reason. I don't know why. It's be, it's 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 casting. I think <clears throat> he's cast in certain roles because there's that. There's only God forgives. There's um. He's weird and large and the real girl. I mean, there's just he he plays like a very. He almost gets pushed into these like pseudo autistic roles, kind of. I mean, this is like his most. Who who are you talking about? Ryan Gosling. Oh, I thought you were talking about Gyllenhaal. That's no, who's a nightcrawler. Ryan Gosling is drive. Drive, yeah. We were talking about Nightcrawler. Oh, right, right. Yeah, that's Gyllenhaal. That's Gyllenhaal, yeah. Oh, no, he's just weirdo anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, I got... But he also gets kind of cast in the autistic role sometimes. Yeah. Nightcrawler's a really good movie, though. You should um, check it out. It's like it's, it's kind of like, catatone, like catatonic states and stuff. Like, yeah. I guess he got kind of typecast early on with Donnie Darko, probably, is my guess. Um, Ryan Gosling is younger than me. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> They're all going to be younger than you eventually, Frank. <clears throat> uh, Keith David is uh, 63. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. He was educated at the Juilliard School. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always really like Keith David. Although I have to stop and think and remember it's Keith David and not David, David Keith. Keith, right. Um, when you said that, that's what I thought originally. I was like, I don't think yeah. that's that dude. Right. And uh, then I remembered. Yeah. Um, yeah, Keith David is in like my subjective favorite uh spike lee movie clockers as andre yeah the 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 cop that's like a badass but is has a good heart and he's in my subjective favorite roddy piper movie they live mm-hmm. yeah that was um although hell comes to frogtown does hold a special yeah. place in my heart they live was recommended after i watched something the other night like me was, too i don't remember what it was grave encounters maybe 
No. Uh, it was, I can't remember what it it's was. It's been a few weeks since I watched yeah. that. It was something and it came up and it was Probably like, something we watched like for a list or something if we got both got the same recommendation yeah. from Prime. can't remember what it is. But All right, you want to go talk about Lethal Weapon again? No. <laughs> I will just say that I watched all the Lethal Weapons because uh, Stars had has all of them up for Stars has a lot. Stars of has a buddy yeah. cop movies up right it now. It does. Stars has a lot up. Yeah. Stars if you actually go through Stars list like number of movies that we've talked about on this podcast like there's tons of those movies that are up there. S- Stars has this really nice like it fills this weird role where it's just all these movies between like 1970 and like 1998. That yeah. are just like tons of movies you wouldn't even think of, and then Agreed. they're just on stars. Yeah, I we didn't we, we didn't have stars until this past week, and it was just it made more financial sense because it's like five dollars through Prime right now yeah. a month uh, for the first three months. In it just made more financial sense rather than running two movies for six dollars right. to just go ahead and get stars. And I've watched tons of stuff on stars. Yeah. Um, it's all things like Money Pit, but um. <laughs> but there's um and Lebowski yesterday, but yeah. but there's tons of stuff up on stars. Like I have all these movies that are just kind of like in my watch list now, like from stars, and yeah, it's a good eclectic it mix. If, um, if I was gonna say that, I would I would recommend stars and HBO as the two if you're gonna subscribe to two channels. Yeah, HBO is like hit and miss with their movie selection depending on the month or whatever, but um they have enough television to make up for. The thing that HBO does is that HBO gets a lot of movies that were things you wanted to see in the theater but you couldn't bring yourself to the- see in the theater and yep. hbo gets them much quicker than anybody else Agreed. stars is more like your older movies in hbo yeah which begs the question like why am i subscribing to cinemax and showtime but there i'm always finding something on there so they always got stuff though yeah there's something on there but yeah lethal weapon two through four having watched them I- i've seen that's probably like probably like the third or fourth or 10th time i've seen lethal weapon 2 um i can't remember but i i, I know that movie pr- pretty well sadly but um it's okay uh but lethal weapon 3 and 4 is this i watched lethal weapon 3 this is maybe the second or third time i've seen it in my life um i think second it was really bad like just as an action movie i just did not think it was good yeah and 4 i saw once and then I saw it again. I remembered. I thought this was only the second time I saw it. You, you. I think you'll you'll remember this night. This is a night that, um, we were watching it when. Oh, maybe you weren't home. That was Zeke. That was there. Zeke might may may remember this night. Who knows? Um, where we smoked weed over at Chuck's house, and it was yeah, it was me, Bledsoe, Zeke, and Chuck, and. I still didn't know that I was allergic to marijuana. Um, so I had a really bad reaction. And so this is like 99 maybe. And uh, th- this was the night though that that I, the famous night with Zeke where Zeke was watching the TV guy channel. Oh, and could tell you what was. And like, and he, and he would just sit there and just watch it like scroll uh-huh. for like ever. And Butso was like, you're not even paying attention to this what's on channel like whatever 256 and zeke told him and then we had to wait for it to all scroll around all over again zeke was exactly right like he knew everything that was on every channel but we watched lethal weapon 4 that night and because i remember that dentist office scene where they're high on the gas and um 
Yeah, and then I vomited and passed out. But um, so I've seen parts of Lethal Weapon Four. Watching it again, Lethal Weapon Four is a real bad movie, and not only is it bad, it's boring. It's just a dull yes, it's two hours and five minutes, and the only thing that's even slightly likable is the is the nostalgia, the ten year old nostalgia of Riggs and Murtaugh and seeing what's going on in their lives. Right. Like that's the only thing that's like worthwhile about it, and even that's not that interesting. So that franchise really goes downhill in ten years really quickly. Yes, and I'm not. Well, because it's trying as much to do as nostalgia as I have for it, I'm not looking forward to a fifth movie like in 2021. Like, I think that's a really dumb idea. I agree with that. I mean, I just I don't know. Like, look, I I I'll give you shit for Lethal Weapon forever, but Le- Le- Lethal Weapon works as what it is. Like, it's the perfect example of what it is. It's not a family comedy. It's not a like slapstick romance i don't know it's just that yeah lethal weapon 4 is um yeah is not good no it's not i've only seen it the once but i would never want to watch it again and three is just a really just not it's not really a good action movie and it's not and the plot of three is really bad um the crime part of it is just not good i don't remember what it was it's not even worth talking about but um it's 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 not good it's it's a bad movie um i think that's the thing about one is like you said like it was like this like kind of nebulous thing that you couldn't really describe what was happening and i think that's fine like they're bad guys they're trying to do something probably for money like it's and and there's a guy that's running in and there's his right hand that's all you need to know like it doesn't matter right um that's not what's important is the is the plot of that i think that's um, right but yeah um so yeah, that franchise really goes downhill, which is unfortunate. But all right, any final thoughts on this list? No, I mean it was more enjoyable to watch than I thought it would be, even though I kind of shit on the first three movies that we watched. <laughs> right? What was your cinematography for one of them? Camaraderie, camaraderie, chemistry, com- camaraderie might be your weakest argument yet. Com- I st- but friends, like, <laughs> friends. friends. That, that's the thing is like I still enjoyed watching those movies, like even though. Yeah. I was despising Freebie and the Bean the entire time I was watching it, and especially James Caan, who's just terrible. Mm-hmm. I still appreciated what I was watching. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, it was a better list than I thought it would be. When, when you brought it up last year, I was like, ugh, like, I, I do not want to get to that list. But, you know, it's it's over. But we're, right. <laughs> right. It's 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 done now. It's done. Although now we have to figure out a way to talk about Dragnet, because I really want to talk about Dragnet. <clears throat> All right, yeah, well... I'm fine. With that. We'll figure it out. We'll do it a year from now. So, um, okay. So that's our podcast for the night, everybody. I um, let's see what do we got going on. Uh, I lied last week because I um, can't read a calendar. So we're releasing this first week of March, and then we'll be off next week, and then we have three more Sundays to go in the month. So two of those Sundays we will be um, doing the top five dystopian movies, uh, which. Uh, is a is a good list. I, I've been, I, I've I'm through that list now, and I I, I enjoyed a lot of those. Yeah, it's going to be a good list. And then um, we have the uh, top five foreign movies of 1995, which was a randomly generated list uh, through these websites I used. And I was 
honestly, like when I like I remember Franco, like when I when it first happened, because I think I did it at the bar that night and you were like, oh, that's going to be a good list. And I was like, I was a little skeptical that you could like pull that list off. And um, I watched him do it in about 10 minutes the other night, like in real time, like that. He's just like created that list and sent it to me. Um, I have seen none of those movies, so I'm actually pretty interested in those type of lists when I don't know anything that is on there. Yeah, I was super excited when I saw a couple of the things. I forgot they were 95s, so there's there's some good stuff on it. Yeah, so um, be watching a lot of Criterion coming up here soon. Mm, yeah, there's a lot of it <laughs> so, on there. Um, so that's uh, everything. We if Again, if anybody has any uh, ideas of their own list, you can contact us through our Facebook page. You can contact us through on Instagram or email twoguys5movies at gmail.com. And um, thank you, everybody, for liking um, our posts on Instagram. Uh, again, we've had a lot of new listeners recently, it seems, uh, both through the regular podcast and through the uh, supplemental kind of podcast that we're doing right now, which is The Quick Cage. Uh, we're releasing those on Tuesday nights. Uh, they're usually anywhere from 10 to... Uh, I think 30 minutes of uh, talking about a specific Nick Cage movie that Frank has watched recently. And it ranges from the um, excellent to the absurd to the right. abysmal at times. Unwatchable um, in some cases. Right. But I still watch them. Yeah, but Frank's uh, Frank's doing you the service of watching Nick Cage movies so you don't have to. Or you do have to. You can. Right. So like this past, yeah, the, the episode that will be coming out on Tuesday, yes, Frank will... Frank has a good recommendation for a Nick Cage movie. But other than that, thank you uh, for all the uh, listens and um, for um, uh, uh, liking stuff on social media. So yep. have a good night. Thanks a lot. Have a good night.